Hello and welcome to On The Button. In this episode, I speak to Andrew Scott. He's got a huge amount of experience in financial services. In this episode, I kind of quiz him about what works best in the sector. He talks about the consistency of video, the importance of making sure that you're producing content on a regular basis, understanding who your audience are, and the challenges of targeting very niche audiences with specific messages. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, it would be great if we just start off with a little introduction. Tell me about who you are and where you work. Thanks, Simon. Uh, pleasure to be here with you. Uh, so I'm Andrew Scott. I'm the MD at White Marble Consulting, and we're a, a, a consultancy that works with uh, investment managers, so wealth and asset managers here in the UK, into Europe and across uh, in, in the US. And uh, we do three things primarily. We help firms articulate themselves. So we help them explain their brand, help them explain their sustainability uh, creds, um, and we help them explain their, their strategies and products and capabilities uh, to, to the market. Uh, we, we help them engage with clients. Uh, secondly, we help them uh, think about how to segment and talk to clients and bring them down through the, the famous funnel uh, and turn them into customers. Uh, and lastly, we help them think about what good looks like. So we help firms uh, look at what best practice looks like um, and how to make sure that their marketing teams and technologies and processes uh, are all uh, operating as best they can. Um, and alongside that, we have a, a benchmarking product called um, Beacon, which helps us do uh, that benchmarking. So plenty there then. Uh, to keep you busy by the sounds of it. Um, Indeed. It'd be great to hear a bit about uh, maybe a, a bit about your past as well and how you got to where you are now um, running such a successful agency like One Marble. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, my background, in case you can't uh, tell, the accent is uh, from uh, New Zealand, but I came over here just over 20 years ago and uh, always been in financial services um, through sort of banking insurance and then into uh, the investment industry um, and I guess my my creds uh, in terms of marketing uh, for asset managers has been running the digital teams uh, at firms like um, Invest Tech Now 91 uh, and Hermes and uh, M&G Investments so you know I've done I've done the hard yards of uh, working and, and trying to bring digital to life in large firms. Uh, and then I've been with White Marble for actually coming up to five years. Uh, and we've grown from just a few folk uh, here in London to now uh, we've got about 25 of us uh, working across the US and, and, and UK. That I mean, it sounds like you guys have been really busy. You've talked about the kind of things that you're doing at White Marble, but, and you've talked about your history as well in marketing, specifically in finance. Um, does finance bring its own special challenges when it comes to marketing? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, I guess the primary challenges are around the need for regulation of of, of what you're what you're telling the market, what you're telling the audience. And, and we're not unique. Uh, pharmaceuticals, other firms, uh, drinks firms, all all have similar challenges. But that's what's hard. Um, quite often, instead of being able to go out to the market with an amazing message and just come one, come all. Um, we have to think so much you know, harder about specifically who we're targeting, what we're allowed to tell them. And that can be down to the, you know, the finer detail of if you're promoting funds, you know, um, uh, on social media, for example, then you need to think about which, uh, which countries funds are registered in and, and, and what you're allowed to, 
promote. And so a lot of the time we we can't get close to product. Um, and so, you know, when we start talking about video in particular, you know, the challenge is, well, what else can we talk about? And I think one of the things we can say is there's lots of other things to talk about. And that's that's really the opportunity uh, in video. So I think I think it's it's twofold. It's it's thinking about who you're allowed to talk to about what. Um, and I think most asset and wealth managers would admit um, a bit of a generalization that they are still catching up, if that's the fair phrase, on you know things like video and digital being at the forefront of their sort of of their marketing uh, efforts. Now that is a sweeping generalization, and you know there's lots of firms that are doing some really really great stuff, but I think a lot of other firms would you know freely admit they've got they've got catching up to do. Have you seen that then change over the last sort of few years? Because certainly from our perspective, we work a lot in finance and, and there does seem to be a changing tide. People now are, I mean, they've for a long time, they've been asking to stand out, which is quite tricky in this sector, but also they're, they are, they are focusing more on measurement um, and understanding, you know, what they're achieving with the video rather than creating video just because, you know, everyone else is, it seems like there's more focus now. Would you agree? Uh, completely. So I think, um, you know, the life cycle of digital is, you know, we spent years and years and years persuading people that you should do digital things at all. Uh, and then that sort of uh, went around and people rushed to build great websites and sort of put put great sort of brochureware out there, I suppose, in terms of digital. Um, and, th- and then I think we've come almost full circle of of being back to really challenging digital, not as to whether we should do it or not. But that it has measurable success, it has measurable outcomes, and I think that you know as we move more down the track of uh, looking for conversions, looking for lead scoring, looking for qualified leads, um, you know people are looking to see that their digital spend actually works hard, and what that has meant, of course, is a lot of pressure on people who run marketing because I think in the past, you know, you could be a marketing leader and know enough about digital to sort of do what was necessary. Um, I think I think the world is getting harder and uh, your technical knowledge, your digital skill sets, uh, your ability to influence inside the firm to, to bring about digital transformation. I think the pressure is really mounting up. Um, and so, you know, of course, that's where, you know, we, we can see opportunities to help firms with that. But I think on your point about um, standing out is, is a great one. And we often talk about how difficult it is, you know, because firms are doing in many ways similar things, uh, you know, and, and talking about themselves in similar ways uh, to, to the market. That's a real that's a real challenge. And a lot of what we do under that Articulate banner, for example, is really dig deep into understanding the purpose of the firm, you know, why they think they exist um, and how they can talk about themselves that kind of brings that story and purpose to life um, and and video you know does give you that ability to bring the folk who want to tell that story you know right out face to face with people you know you can see um, the folk that are telling the story and I think that that's where you get that personal interaction and that that stands for a lot I guess that you know standing out is something that pretty much every every client that comes to us now in this sector and asks us for a proposal talk about standing out and being different and as you've said it's difficult because the messaging is similar and also um, the subject matter is similar so a lot of ESG and responsible investing sustainable investing at the moment that kind of thing but I guess when it comes to standing out it takes two 
two parts as you've alluded to there in that part of the responsibility is the agency to come up with a new interesting creative way of executing a video uh, and making it stand out um, when people are scrolling through but the the other really important part as you said is is the messaging um and and so often that's kind of forgotten when it comes to a video i think it's all people seem to concentrate on key messages rather than the story and the reason and i guess that's where you come in is it look i think you know if there was if there was a couple of key things about making good video is you know don't start with let's make a video because i think that is usually <laughs> at the beginning of the end right yeah. that someone says let's make a video because because that suggests that it's not part of a content plan. It's not part of a, an ongoing communication plan with your audience, of which video is a part, a component, but there's, there's written and audio and, and, and other things. So I think, I think seeing video as simply part of um, an overall content plan that you've thought through about how you want to engage with, with clients is, is the big thing. Um, I was actually going to say good sound is the other thing because it's, it's surprising how often um, you, you see you see great video and you can't you can't hear it very well or people forget to do um, captions for uh, for uh, the train journey home and uh, when sound is off it's it's pretty hard to to interact with video when there's when there's no sound I know that's practical detail but yeah I mean um, I think seeing video as as part of that overall plan. Um, is is really really the secret i think where video tends to go wrong is those well i was going to say those one-off videos and 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 i i shouldn't say that in the sense that there's a time and a place to to you want to showcase something you want to launch something and, and you want to do video to support that that's fine but where you just do a single video that's never then followed up um, you know, people like getting regular feeds, whether it's your your blog posts or your your podcast or or, or your video. People want to know that there's more to come back for and, and an ongoing an ongoing feed of that content. Yeah, we we ran a, a webinar yesterday actually, and we we covered a number of the things that you've just talked about. Um, I think the, the sound quality is really important and often gets forgotten. Um, and we're working with clients at the moment because it looks like, and I don't know what your experience is, but it looks like over the next 12 months, a lot of video content is still going to be produced remotely. Uh, I think people have experienced it, been forced to experience it, realize actually, if you do it well, it can work very well. Um, and part of that is making sure that people have, as you have, you've got a microphone there. Um, and you know, I use camera, separate camera for my, um, for my webinars and things so that you know, hopefully the quality's there. Um, I've actually, I talk to my wife sometimes where she comes home and she's been briefed with a video at work and she says, it sounds terrible. I don't know anything about video, but I couldn't hear a word they were saying, so I completely switched off. And it's absolutely true. People seem to forget this, though, when they're making this content, don't they? Well, we're quite unforgiving, aren't we? And as we've gone through the pandemic, I mean, I saw a, a cartoon the other day about sort of in 2020, you know, you were gently reminded that, you know, mute was on, and then in 2021, you were told pretty forcefully that we can't hear you, and then in 2022, it's expletive, expletive. Um, you know, turn turn your microphone yeah, on. You should, um, be, you should know this by now. Yeah, exactly. Although surprisingly, how embarrassingly often that happens, but um, but it's the same. It's the same with video. You know, let, let's be honest. You 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 start to watch a video, either the sound quality is poor, or you've got sound off because you're you know in a in a 
noisy space or whatever on the train you you don't hang around you don't you don't give people a second second chance i think one of the other observations i was going to make while it's on my head was i think um and in our world um you know we always default to so in our world it's it's quite often fund managers uh, portfolio managers you know updating on on you know either their fund or or a, a macro outlook or um or commentary um and we I think it's a tough gig, right? Because as well as um, being good at managing money, we we sort of expect people to be great at um, sort of sales and, and video stars and, yes. and, and all the rest of it. And I think there's an opportunity for firms to think about just who's good on video and get those people to do their video. And I know that that's not always straightforward and easy, but I think it does two things. I think it it makes for much better video when people are really comfortable with video and they, they come across in that way. Um, and secondly, it starts to spread the load and, and, and move away from, you know, it needing to be, you know, the, the fund manager each time, you know, an update um, is, is required. So it spreads that sort of resource load. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, we, we did a, um, a report, we did a white paper um, specifically on the finance sector and we looked at what, created the most successful content or you know what what were the indicators a film would be successful um we looked at i think it was over a thousand films um that we had access to and it was clear one of the findings we we made was that a confident presenter made a significant difference to the effectiveness of that content and the engagement level throughout the film and i guess that's no surprise and i think if i told anyone that they would they would agree yet we're still prepared to put people that aren't comfortable on camera in front of one and expect them, like you say, to perform, I would say, you know, as the years go by, that's going to become more expected and it's going to just become part of business, right? To be able to almost like you would stand up and present in front of people. Now you need to be able to present on camera. Yeah. I think there's something different about a video conference um, and, and that magic sort of recording button that makes people freeze. Um, and it's also a tough gig also when you're doing it in front of your colleagues. So I think sometimes, again, in this sort of super pragmatic side of things, you know, making people talk in front of sort of three or four of their colleagues all standing around is, is, is uh, pretty difficult as well. But yeah, I think some people are naturally um, comfortable with, with the camera. I think it works on the other side, right? Um, and I think that's part of one of the things I was going to say about successful content um you know i like to see content grouped in the sense that if i go to an asset manager or wealth manager's website you know i want to see video and audio and written content grouped <laughs> i don't necessarily want to see a special mm. video section or audio section or whatever and i just yeah, a video page yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 yeah you know, look it's fine you, you can filter by those things if people want to see but the nice thing about that is it treats content the different content types equally um, it blends the content into the subjects, and, and like I say, you you can filter. But I think it allows it allows people. And if you're transcribing your video, then you're playing to all of those um, consumption types. So I like visual content. I will always watch a video over listening to a podcast, even though I'm at odds with you know, apparently everybody else. And I'll probably, in fact, in order, I'll probably read video audio. And 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 obviously, everyone's different. And the, the nice thing about having that mix and thinking about transcribing and all the rest of it is that you, you know, you're making it as easy and accessible as possible for your content to be consumed. Yes, absolutely. And we, we kind of abide by that when we're making videos full stop in that, you know, we will have 
visual cues in there for people that like to learn that way. We'll, and we'll have make sure we concentrate on the audio so people can listen to it, even if they can't see the picture. And you talked about subtitles. And something else I mentioned in yesterday's webinar was that I think that pretty much every film that we make in 2022 will include subtitles on it. Um, that's something we've been pushing for for a long time in terms of accessibility, but also now it's expected on social media, isn't it, really? People seem to be paying more attention to the sound. It's very hard to analyse that and find, and work it out. But what I think is happening is that people are much more used to using their headphones now because we're on video calls all the time. We have our headphones. You said before we started this session, you know, you, you wanted a break from your headphones. It does mean, though, I think, because people are at home and they've got their headphones on, they're more likely to listen to sound. But it's still best practice, I think, for every film that you make to add those subtitles. And it also means, you know, especially in this sector, we're we're pretty much sending every film out in multiple languages. So we're producing subtitles in multiple languages and that's, you know, it's very easy to do. Yeah, that, that that's right. And I think that um, actually it was interesting. I was, I was looking at um, how people are using um, video across uh, the different firms that, that we work with. And there's such variation. Um, so we did a little bit of uh, a look at some recent content and, quite a lot of the video content didn't have, um, uh, wasn't transcribed. So there was no script uh, visible for search. So that that's that's not ideal. Um, but then we're also looking at, um, and I know this is going off on a tangent, but we're also looking at how people are using, I guess, looking at the whether people are using video successfully or not. And one of the things we looked at was how uh, folk are using YouTube as an outlet for their video. And it's incredibly sporadic. Um, you know, some firms are really using YouTube a lot. Some firms are using it not at all. Some are you know, uploading very occasionally. So I'm not saying whether YouTube is good, bad, or indifferent. It, you need to make your uh, content public and, and get reached through it. But my point is uh, that there is such variation in video that I believe there is huge opportunity in video uh, in, in our industry because actually I think there's very few people that are consistently doing great video, you know, month after month. So I think if firms, you know, want, want to stand out, um, I don't think video is the answer necessarily, but I think it's a great tool um, that you can still achieve things because other people aren't consistently doing it well yet. Um, so if you can get purpose and content and scripting and quality right uh, and the right people, um, then I think there's there's still quite an opportunity uh, for, for firms in our industry. Yeah, I think that if you, I, I would think that if, if firms in your industry, if marketers go look around at their competitors' websites and they look at certain sites, they think, God, that's really, that's a great site. I'm really impressed with that, the way that they brought it all together most of those sites that have that impact will have consistent use of video. Um, and when I say consistent use of video, I mean that that video is used throughout the site. As you've said, it's grouped well, but also that that video is consistent. So the quality is consistent. The branding is consistent. Um, and I think that's become easier over the last 12 or 18 months because of the global approach. One of the things uh, that I talked to a client about yesterday was the fact that now they're able to, to work with one agency uh, for all of the content they're producing around the world, which is making it much easier to create that consistency. Um, because as you've said, sometimes, um, you know, people are posting on YouTube, sometimes they're not. And even that that side of things needs some consistency. So your audience know where that content's going to be, uh, what to expect. 
um, and how and, and then you can start to get a good benchmark as to wh- what parts of your video content or, or your content strategy more widely are working and which parts aren't. Is that is that something you'd agree with? Oh, look, look, absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, the 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 purpose and the outcome, I mean, video is as good as the number of people that watch it. Arguably, <laughs> like like all content, you know, there's not much use producing fabulous content yeah. if it just sits on your or, website. Or what those people do after they've watched it. Well, yeah, exactly. And in fact, I was, I was going to say one of the things that you know we, it's almost like publishing the video, and maybe this is true of a lot of publishing, yeah, you know, because it's that last step, it's that sort of rushed step. So you you produce this fabulous video, you do all the hard work of scripting it, getting folk filmed, editing it, getting all the disclaimers on it. And then almost the last step of publishing it becomes so rushed that quite often I think people forget about, well, did you put CTAs? Were there sort of little overlays you might have chose to show some interaction during the video? Were we trying to capture, you know, leads and pass it through to your marketing automation platform on the way through the video? And, you know, that last step is almost a, a quick upload onto the website and, you know, off off you go. And was it tagged correctly so it shows up in site search and, and all of those things. So I think there's a I think there's a like with all things digital, there's a whole lot of boring stuff that if you do it well, it makes such a difference to being able to find the video, interact with it, get the analytics from it. But a lot of that comes back to what I think perhaps you were referencing earlier about what the purpose of the video was, you know. So what who are we going to show this to? You know, what is the message, and what would we like people to do? You know, at the end of that video, do we want them to subscribe, watch more? You know, interact. Obviously, we'd love them to go and invest in a fund or, or something, but I think that's probably a bit further down the road. Yeah, and it's great. It's great to hear all of this, actually, Andrew, because it, the, this is exactly what we preach to our clients. But it is difficult because it, nine times out of ten, a video project comes along and there's a tight deadline. Um, and again, this comes down to what you were talking about, the strategic approach, having an understanding of what content you're going to be making over the 12 months and coordinating that amongst stakeholders, producing content at the right time so that you can maybe gather um, gather certain parts of that film while you're filming something completely different, for example, and then thinking about it and planning it so that those those things like subtitles, the languages languages it's going out in, when you've got a call to action, where that call to action might be, um, uh, taking out that logo animation at the start, all the things that we talk about to clients. So we've got a chance to think about that. I do think there's a responsibility for the agency, though, to to kind of put the pressure on the client on from that perspective because they they should be the experts on video specifically. Um, but it's very difficult sometimes, obviously, because the client gets the final say and deadlines can be tight. So, I mean, what, how much responsibility do you think an agency should take for that side of things? Um, well, I think it's, you know, in our case, it's a, just about bringing our experience, right? We know, you know, what what the right way of doing these things is. And, and actually, I, I was going to say in that vein, I think where I've seen video work well is where, alongside the other content types for sure but perhaps if you're just starting video it it gets its own um, attention but where i've seen it work well is to have the process mapped out and i you know in a simple visual way that says you know here's how we're going to sort of um ideate you know the topics here's the audiences we're taking it out to this is going to be the process for 
filming, editing, approving, and, and publishing the video, and then getting engagement. And, and this feels very obvious, but even from the point of view of um, if you have a compliance team, for example, as part of your business, then engaging them right up start at the beginning of that content to plan to say, these are the videos that we want to make. And I, I almost hesitate saying videos because I just mean content, but let's say videos. These are the videos we're going to make. You know, here are the topics we're going to cover. What do we want to set as the house rules so that as long as we stick to these, by the time they get through for approval, um, you know, there really shouldn't be. So you want to stay off performance. You want to stay off competitors. You want to stay off, you know, sort of, market predictions or, you know, a few sort of key sort of areas to steer clear of. Um, I, and then um, that helps with that flow because otherwise videos can take weeks and months to, to, to get published. And I think that's where they lose their edge because they're so out of date by the time you've sort of actually got them published. They're a bit, a bit pointless. Um, and of course, the other piece of that was um, the promotional plan. Because again, lovely as it is to get it published on your website, um, you know, are you going to email you know, your lists? Are you going to promote it on social media? Are you going to do paid media and, and make sure that you're um, thinking about search? Because all of that needs to be in place. But my point really was just to make sure that everybody's agreed as to how this video process is going to work. So it doesn't stall. You know, you filmed a whole bunch of videos and and you've missed the pretty obvious compliance sort of requirement and end up having to go back and do endless, you know, edits to get it right. I would suggest that counts for all key stakeholders. So compliance being obviously one of the most important stakeholders in that process. Absolutely agree. You know, and, and as an agency gets to know those individual compliance teams in different organizations, they get to know what's acceptable for them and what isn't. And it does seem to vary quite significantly between organizations. But also, you know, we've had situations where marketing team, for example, you know, have gone through this process, they've produced a film, and it's not until there's an edit that it's been shared with a, a PM or someone, you know, someone senior that's involved with that project that maybe should have seen it a little bit sooner and they don't like it or they think that it should be changed or that we've missed key points or whatever it might be. So making sure, you know, rather than think, oh gosh, what if those people don't like it? Let's, I'll tell you what, we'll make it and then they'll, they'll love it and it'll be great. Let's, let's get that out of the way at the front end, get all of those key stakeholders involved, understand what it is they like and they don't like. And we can, we can kind of address that and deal with it right at the front end. But I think, you know, one of the drivers for success with that is having this kind of criteria for success, because the problem with video, like website design, is it can be subjective. And you, everyone's been through the process of creating something that they think is beautiful and amazing and, and engaging. And then someone further down the line just doesn't doesn't like that shape or color or, or, or angle. No, it's never and, happened you know, to me, Andrew. Cute. Everything I've made has been fantastic. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you're a you're a lucky guy. Uh, so, but if but if there was a you know, and I, it's people have got so many hours in the day, right? There's always the day job and all the rest of it. I'm not suggesting some massive plan, but if there was a plan that said, look, this is the audience that it's going out to, and this is what we want them to learn from it. Hence, this is how we've done the video. I guess it just changes it into being a more sort of pragmatic, you know, purposeful process rather than people just wanting to see beautiful things in the video and then argue whether they are 
you know beautiful in their eyes or not that's one of the big changes I've seen actually over the last couple of years. I've always suggested, I used to run an e-consultancy course when people said to me, but how do you convince the CEO not to be in the film or whatever it might be? I've always said, use data to convince stakeholders that you're taking the right approach with the video um, because then we're making it more objective. Um, and actually, I think over the last two years, that's become a much easier process for us. We're more confident. We'll go back to clients and we'll say, we don't think that's right. This is why. Uh, here's the data. Here's the research that we've got based on previous experience. You make a decision now as you think if this is the right way to do it or not. The client always gets the final say, but at least we're confident enough to say we don't think that's right. And, and I think sharing data around content is so important and so important that it's a sort of a, you know, it's a collaborative discussion because it it, it can be pretty crushing. You know, if you're the writer of the content or the recorder of the podcast or the subject of the of the video, it's not fun to find out that, you know, your hard work resulted in sort of three views over two months, you know, um, and, and but that needs to be, never happened to me, obviously, but uh, it needs to be <laughs> looked at and discussed and figured out why, you know, is it too long? Did we not get to the point? You know, were you just not great at doing that? I, you know, it's they're, they can be a bit, bit brutal, but, um, you know, the numbers, the numbers really are all that, that matter. Yeah, even, you know, as an agency, it's the same. You know, we want our content to succeed, but it's an important part of understanding why content hasn't succeeded to make sure that we can continue to improve. You know, we don't want to bury our heads in the sand. And we do suggest to a lot of our clients doing something like a content audit and looking back at the content that you've made to understand what's been successful and what hasn't and why, and then using that to inform your, your strategy moving forward. And um, sometimes it's easier to get a third party to do that because internally you don't want to offend people. That, that That's right. and But it also is another reason for doing more than one video. Not that we're necessarily here to persuade people to do more than one video, but having a series you know, at least gives you the opportunity to test over time and make those changes where if it's all sort of all in on let's make a video, then you, know, you, had, one, you had one chance to sort of get it right or, or get it wrong. It's funny because you are, you, I don't know if you've been reading my blogs or something, but <laughs> this is exactly uh, what I would recommend, you know. Not sure whether you want me to say yes or no. You, you've all obviously read them all and you've listened to all my podcasts and all of our webinars, clearly. Um, That's right. But um, yeah, I would certainly recommend to people, uh, even if it's, you know, um, not an ongoing series, just making multiple edits, because as you've said, it's subjective. So if you create multiple versions for different audiences, it's more likely that one of those will resonate with the audience that you're, that you're targeting. Um, well, look, we could talk all day, but we're running out of time, Andrew. Um, believe it or not, 30 minutes has gone already. Um, just to finish, it would be great to get your thoughts. So what, what's going to happen in 2022? Um, what do you think are the trends? What do you think organizations are going to be doing in terms of video? Um, I guess two quick thoughts. One is that I think the uh, the, the focus on sustainability and, and authenticity and transparency, I think bodes well for video because I think that that is a, a great conduit for getting those messages out that you, know, you can see the person telling the story. And it puts, I think, extra pressure on, therefore, having something useful to say. Um, you know, because I think equally a, a video with sort of vanilla statements isn't going to cut through anymore. So people want to hear what you've got to say, see the person saying it, and, and therefore video is is a fantastic tool for that. Um, I would 
again, focus on getting the right people to, to be in those videos and just, just accept that some people are comfortable with it and some people aren't. Uh, and then the second thing I would say is TikTok, right? Um, because my daughter um, spends her life on TikTok and she is the investor of the future. So brace yourself, it's yeah, coming. Funnily enough, you must be watching my webinars because we talked about TikTok on the webinar yesterday as well, Andrew, and there's been a 10% increase in marketers using that platform over the last 12 months. Uh, whereas something like Snapchat is, is reduced. Um, and we've got one client who's experimenting with TikTok. And I, and some of their colleagues raise an eyebrow because it's B2B. Um, but actually, uh, the, the, advantage, the massive advantage, I think, for a platform like TikTok at the moment is everyone's raising their eyebrows. So maybe there's only a few of your clients using it, or maybe it's influencers, their kids, for example. But none of your competitors are using it at the moment. So even if there's a small audience on there, the competition is much smaller as well. So it could be a really good opportunity. So I think that's an amazing point. Thank you. Um, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, ignore it at your peril. And it's, it's the same with, you know, you take TikTok, take Reddit groups and, and threads. You know, I mean, we, we've all sort of quietly scoffed, but the reality is that that's where people are congregating more and more. And those people are increasingly going to be our investors. And maybe we've got a bit of time left, uh, but, but, it, but it is coming. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much for spending the time chatting to me today. It's been really interesting for me, and I'm sure it's going to be great for the audience as well. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Simon. You too. I hope you found this episode of the podcast interesting. If you have, please remember to subscribe and share. On the Button is brought to you by Big Button. Big Button is a strategic video agency. You can find out more about our work at bigbutton.tv. I hope you can join us next time.